Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. We have uh, the great holiday of Hanukkah tonight, which is uh, super exciting. And I, I want to approach it, I think, maybe in a, in a new way. You know, the Torah is endlessly deep. And one of the exciting things is when you can sort of like learn something that's on the one hand seemingly familiar, and on the other hand, you know, it can be made just brand new. You hear a couple of teachings on it that, that allow you to access the light from a, from a different perspective. And then all of a sudden you, you, you realize, wow, you know, I, I never knew anything before. And those are the great moments for me personally, when you get to celebrate your ignorance <laughs> or when you become sort of re-engulfed in the wonder of it all. Let's put it that way. Uh, it's, so, it's so tempting to think you know anything. And, and it's so wonderful to be re- relieved of the burden uh, of thinking you know anything. And it's, it's a very healing uh, and enlivening thing because that, that is the gift of life. Because you're, you are literally reborn when you realize that you're a blank slate and you're standing before the infinite. And, and so Torah can do that like, like nothing else. And so let's, let's re-approach Hanukkah in a new way, all right? And to do that, I want to start with a, a map of the cosmos, there are many different ways of, of organizing all of creation, the, the heavens and the earth. And, and we have all sorts of charts and things like that. Let me just tell you a story about charts and, and Kabbalistic models for a moment. So Reb Shlomo was, was teaching some people one time, and he was talking about different regions in heaven. And someone who is learning with him in the group said to him, where are your charts? And, you know, because a lot of times when you learn these things, people have all sorts of charts. And by the way, I I don't want to knock the charts because whenever I begin to discuss these type of things, I always think to myself, it would be so helpful if you gave the people a chart that you could point to. But anyway, Reb Shlomo didn't have any charts. And he explained it the following way. He said, imagine that you're traveling in France and the tour guide is a Frenchman. Does, the, does that person have a map that they're consulting when they're taking you around? They don't. You know why? Because they live there. <laughs> and that's it. You know, when you're talking about all these heavenly realms, if you live there, you don't need a chart. So, and, and that is, uh, I don't want to say that, Therefore, since I don't have a chart, I live there. I, I, that, that is not the conclusion <laughs> that I'm trying to suggest. But, but there is something very wonderful about that idea. That, that just like a tour guide who lives in that country doesn't need a map to take you around. If you're discussing these heavenly realms, if you live there, you don't, you don't need to point to charts. Because it's just where you live. And... I think that that's important and that's helpful when we discuss these things because many people, when they learn these things, which might be a sign that you're, you're learning them too early, that's a real possibility. Because many of these ideas, which I don't really like this word, by the way, uh, I think that this is a negative word, even though I don't think there's any pejorative uh, aspect to it, but the word esoteric, I don't like the word esoteric. Esoteric suggests to me that it's beyond and it's sort of like, it's irrelevant. It's delightfully irrelevant, but it does somehow it doesn't apply to me. It's something that's floating out in the ethosphere, if that's actually a word. But you are engulfed in the infinite. That is the reality of your life. And it's just a question of how expanded your consciousness is. If your consciousness is expanded to meet the actual reality, then you are living in that space. Do you understand? Then you're actually living there. Then these things are not esoteric at all. They're just like, can I tell you something? I live in Los Angeles. 
for me, Minneapolis is not esoteric. <laughs> Minneapolis is just, it's far away, but it's not like some conceptual ideal called Minneapolis. It's a real place. It's just, you know, I, I'd have to take a plane to get there. That's all. But there's a concrete reality to it. So when we're talking about these heavenly realms, there's a concrete reality to it. They're, they're, they're there. They're there. They exist. It's just a question of, again, have our hearts open up sufficiently? Have our minds and our education had the depth where we can incorporate that as a real aspect to our lives or not? For some people, the next world is not so real, but this world is extremely real. For other people, the next world is real, and this world is real. And for still other people, the next world is more real than this world. <laughs> so... The question is like, where where do you fall into that? Where do you fall into that um, mix? Is the next world something that's just esoteric for you? Is the next world as real to you as this world? Or is the next world even more real to you than this world? Because that's where we're going to be for the great majority of our lives, right? You know, I, I like to say that if you put something infinite next to something finite, no matter how large the finite thing is next to the infinite, it's nothing, right? Because the infinite, it doesn't matter if it's big. It's, it's next to the infinite. It's like nothing. So we have souls. Our souls live forever. They're eternal, which means even if someone lives to 120, right? In health and happiness, we should all live to 120 in health and happiness and strength. Compared to infinite eternal existence, it's nothing. Which means 99.9999999% of our lives are going to be lived outside of our bodies. Do you understand that? Which means, by the way, if you want a real like, practical jolt right now, I need to get the next world right. Like, we're so busy trying to get this world right. But you know how you get the next world right? Where are you going to be living the majority of your existence? By far. By getting this world right. <laughs> See, like someone who's not thinking clearly would say, well, if 99.99999% of my life is going to be lived outside my body, then what do I need this world for? But you know what that person is? A fool. <laughs> Because that person doesn't understand the way to get the next world right is to get this world right. That's how you get the next world right. By doing Torah and mitzvahs in this world. That's how you do it. So, so yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about the heavenly realms right now. And all this is going to relate back to Hanukkah. In fact, all this is Hanukkah. Okay. So so let's 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 start to get into it. So one of the maps of the cosmos, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver, one of the greatest Kabbalists, he was sort of the second generation after the Vilna Gon and and was just a a just one of the great great teachers, one of the great great teachers. And he, he wrote many Sfarim, and I'm gonna be drawing from a, a sefer that he wrote called Pischhe Sharim which means the opening of the gates. And he writes a little, just on the title page, you ready for this? On the title page, he, it says, just in a couple of sentences, it says, I'm going to explain to you Reb Chaim Vital's explanation of the Ari and also the Vilna Gon's explanation of the Ari and when the and when Reb Chaim Vital and the Vilna Gon disagree, I'm going to show you how they're actually saying the same thing. That's that that's the that's on the title page, okay? Do you, do you understand what 
That's like, okay. For those of you who understand what, what, what that is, you, I, no, no, no further explanation is needed. It's like, it's like basically saying, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, like on the title page, I am going to be juggling galaxies. <laughs> okay, page one. <laughs> All right, so, so the sign of total utter greatness in Torah is the ability to actually communicate vastly conceptual things in an easy to understand way. And I'll, I'll share with you just two stories, two of my favorite, favorite stories. The first from the Briska Rav, who, who had this ability, right? As Rabbi Green would say, he had a brain the size of a planet, right? And was able to take incredibly complex, different understandings from the Gomorrah about contract law and to actually synthesize them in an amazing way and communicate them very clearly. And he did that one time and his student just heard the, the bottom line, just his clear reconciliation of these intractable different sections of the Talmud. His student heard the Brisker Rav say these points very clearly and you know what the student said? That's obvious. <laughs> and the briskarov said to him, was it obvious before I said it? <laughs> so <laughs> this is amazing. This is amazing. Here's another story where, and I, I don't unfortunately remember the name of the Rav, but one of the, the great Torah geniuses of the 20th century, he was up for a, a job to be the rabbi of this community. And one of the ways that they would audition you is you would give a, a speech on Shabbos and they would judge your performance. The, the truth is, is that they still use the same method to this day. And he was another exemplar of someone who was able to take vastly complex thoughts and, and to communicate them very clearly. And after... After he gave his speech, he was told that he didn't have the job. And they explained to him, you see, you know what the problem is? Our previous rabbi was much greater than you. Because when he spoke, no one understood what he was saying. <laughs> so, people don't get it. They think that to the extent that I don't understand to you, that is the level of your genius. But the Torah standard is actually quite different. The true Torah greatness is that you actually take the vastest thoughts and make them intelligible. So with that in mind, I just want to give you just a, the ability to appreciate what Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver is going to present us. He's going to give us the entire map of the cosmos in the shape of the letter Aleph. What could be simpler than that? And then he goes on multiple variations of how to interpret it in each level of interpretation of, of this construct of the letter Aleph as showing us the vastness of the heavens and the earth is just more mind-bending than the last. It's just amazing. So let me just start. I've, I've had the privilege of learning some of his Torah over many years now, and I see that he returns in, again and again to the letter Aleph. I think everybody knows what the letter Aleph looks like. It's, it's actually composed of three letters. You have the upper Yud, you have the letter Vav, which is a straight line, and then you have the lower Yud. Okay, no, nothing really could be simpler. And of course, we just to to tell you how much we're sort of like drilling down into the, the depths of all reality right now when we talk about the letter Aleph. Just a, a quick background, which I'm sure you already know, is that the, the holiest name of God is the four-letter name of God, Yudke Vavke, which is 
a contraction of the words in Hebrew, haya, hove, and yie, which means was, is, and will be, or past, present, and future tense. In other words, it's a conjuring of infinity, this name of God. And the numerical equivalent of this name of God, the Yudke Vavke, is 26. So 26 is very, very holy as a number. Now, the letter Aleph has a numerical value. Because it's the first letter of the Aleph base, the letter Aleph is the number one. And God is one. The only thing that exists in the universe is God. God is the only thing that exists. God is the one, the only one. And as you know, the the verse of the entire Torah is Shema Yisrael, that, that God is one. And these are the last words that we're supposed to have on our lips before we go to bed at night and when we leave this world. The oneness of God. The oneness of God. So the letter Aleph is the number one. And that correlates with the oneness of God. Now that becomes even deeper when you add this next part, which is, as I said, the letter Aleph is actually composed of three letters, two Yuds and a Vav. Well, the letter Yud is the number 10. So there are two Yuds, 10 and 10 is 20. And Vav is six. So that adds up to 26. So what did we, what did we just say? That the holiest name of God is the number 26, Yud K Vav K. Aleph is the number one because God is one and it's composed of three letters that add up to 26, which is the Yudke Vavke. Right? So in the letter Aleph, we're seeing like just the fact that all that exists is God. The only thing that exists is the oneness of God. Okay. Now, now we're ready for Rev Yitzhak Isaac Haver. That was just a general introduction. And he's going to tell us now how you see a map of the universe here. Well, the the straight line, this letter Vav, this this stands for what we call the Rakia, the firmament. Okay, that's basically the dividing line between the upper Yud, which stands for the infinite realms and the hidden realms because it's above the rakia, above the firmament, above the skyline, is the hidden realms. And below this straight line, the lower yud stands for that which is revealed in this world. So here we have one model of the universe. We have the dividing line between that which is revealed and that which is hidden. And if you think about it, that's a very elegant, beautiful way of sort of uh, organizing reality. The revealed aspects of reality and the concealed aspects of reality and the line which divides them. A very, very interesting way of approaching um, a model for the world. Okay, but it actually gets deeper. Because the upper Yud, and I sort of drew it as a, as a line here, but really Yud is just a point. It's, a, it's, it's the smallest letter in the, in, in the Aleph base, in the Hebrew alphabet. And remember, the, the Aleph base is what we call Lashon Kodesh. It's the divine tongue. We say that God... Each letter is like a different energy wavelength. And God combined the letters. He combined all these heavenly energies and created the physical universe. So each letter is, is so holy. And each letter is a different energy wavelength. It's amazing. And Yud is the only letter of all the letters of the Aleph base that floats above the line. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? All the other letters in the alphabet either hit the, hit, hit the bottom line or go below the bottom line, but there's only one letter that floats above the line, 
And that's the letter Yud, which is represented as a single point. And of course, it's the first letter of God's holiest name, Yud Kevavke, because it's showing you that where is God? Okay, he's with us, but simultaneously, he's beyond, 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 beyond. And that's sort of like suggested um, by this letter Yud, which is above the line. It's just floating beyond, 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 beyond. So now listen to this. The upper Yud of the Aleph, says Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver, is the first point in the creation of the world. Meaning to say, up in the highest heavens, where the infinite crossed over and became finite. Not that God is finite, not that God became finite. God is infinite and remains infinite. And yet, the amazing thing is, God, in one articulation of it, God lacked lack. (laughs) God, in his infinity, desired also to dwell within the finite. Isn't that amazing? And so he creates a physical world where God, in his infinity, can also dwell amidst the finite. Now, that has to happen at one point. The infinity has to actually become finite at some point. Again, the infinite remains infinite. God doesn't cease to become infinite. You know, there are those who say that God fills the entire world And therefore, since God fills the entire world, God equals the world, and the world equals God. But believe it or not, that's absolutely not a Jewish thought. In fact, in Torah, that would be a heretical thought, because you're limiting God. You're saying God equals the world, and the world equals God. That's heresy. What we say is something very, very different, something much more majestic. We say God fills the world. He saturates all of reality and exists dimensions and dimensions and dimensions and dimensions beyond, 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 beyond. And that he's intimately involved in every aspect of creation, in every aspect of our lives, and loves us to pieces, but at the same time exists beyond, 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 beyond. So he's not limited by the world at all but he fills the world. And that's, there's a fancy word for that, panentheism. Don't ask me what that means, but that's actually the name of that system of belief. <laughs> As opposed to pantheism. Panentheism. Okay. So, so what are we saying? We're saying that, that at some point, God creates the finite. And that first point of the creation of the finite is the upper yud of the Aleph. That amazing? That's amazing. That's amazing. In other words, what we said before was that the upper upper yud stands for the concealed realms. But now do you understand how we're going even deeper? We're saying that the upper Yud is the first moment of the creation of the first aspect of the concealed realms. (laughs) It's the very first point where even the concealed realms became extant, came into being. That's far out. That's far out. Okay? Now... The bottom yud in this articulation stands for our dimension. So now do you see how in this model of the Aleph, the first upper yud stands for the first point of creation 
in the concealed realms where the first finite point is created and now all of a sudden the bottom yud is representing the dimension that we live in. Okay, good. So in other words, you've got a spectrum from the very beginning, the very, very top of all of creation itself in the heavenly realms, all the way down to us in our realm. But here's the exciting part now. In that version, what does the Vav, which segments the upper Yud and the lower Yud, stand for? And you ready for this? You and me, the human being. <laughs> We're the Vav. <laughs> you know, just imagine a Vav is, is a straight line. The way you draw a Vav is a straight line. Now, imagine yourself standing up for a moment. What are you? You are a straight line. So you, you are that entity which connects the first moment of the creation of the universe to the realm that we dwell in right now. You are that bridge. You are that vav connecting the two. There's just so much to say about a human being being a vav. You know, Avav is, Avav in Hebrew grammar, it's not just a letter, but it's a grammatical construct. And it's not just a grammatical construct, but it's a grammatical construct, and I'll talk about it in a moment, that's unique to all the languages of the world. Remember, we say that Hebrew is Lashon HaKodesh, how the, the wavelengths through which God created the entire universe. It's the language of nature. And my favorite teaching on that is from Reb Shlomo. He says, when the wind rustles through the trees, the sound that it makes is in Hebrew. Isn't that awesome? When the wind rustles through the trees, the sound that it makes is in Hebrew. Because Hebrew is the language of creation. So each one of us, each human being, is the letter Vav. What, what does a Vav do in, in Hebrew grammar? Well, one thing is, it, if you have a Vav at the beginning of a word, it means and. It connects people. It's a connector. So, so all of us are, are, are connections. We, we are connections. See, this is why it's so important. And I know that um, COVID has, to this day, has shut down a lot of shul going around the world. Everyone should be safe. And if you feel like you need a mask and, you know, I would encourage everyone to get a vaccine and, and everything like that. Um, but you need community. Everybody needs community. It's, it's because, because you are not just yourself. Part of the things that, 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 that shut down a human being and, and cause depression and cause sickness and things like that is when people get so much into their own heads that they think it's just me. You're you. Okay, you, you have every right to be you. But I'm me and, you know, never the twain shall meet, really. You know, maybe we'll talk, but a real connection? Eh, I don't know. I don't need it. But you do need it. That's what I'm telling you. You are not you unless you are connected to other people. You are not the fullness of you. Do you know why? Can I just tell you very simply why? Because we all share one soul. And you only experience the fullness of yourself when you're connecting with other people. It's not that you're being generous or social and it's so nice, like I'm being nice to you, look at me, I'm being so nice. It's not, that's not it. It's not it. You are not experiencing yourself unless you're with other people. That's an aspect of what it means to be above. Above means and. Okay. But let me tell you another thing. Like we were saying before, above is the connector. You are the connection between heaven and earth. You're the connector. In Hasidic Communities, 
the Rebbe gets the sixth aliyah. Remember, the sixth letter of the Aleph base is the letter Vav. And I think it's very meaningful and very significant that, that the Rebbe is the letter Vav. Because what, what is the Rebbe the exemplar of? Of connection, of connecting heaven and earth, of connecting the community together, right? So, so it makes sense. The Rebbe should get the sixth aliyah because the Rebbe is the Vav. But we're all the Vav at the same time, right? Okay. So I want to go deeper now. I'm going to tell you something else that Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says about the letter Vav. You ready for this? And now we're going to start to get into Hanukkah. So what is the kind of the Kabbalistic narrative of creation? And when you hear these things, you just have to understand that this is imagery that the rabbis have given us to kind of be able to hang our our thoughts on anything. But you, you can't take anything too literally, okay? Because the stuff that we're talking about right now is beyond, 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 beyond. Okay, but nonetheless, we're given words and, and imagery so that at least we can have um, something to attach our thoughts to. Okay, great. So, before the world, all you have is God. Actually, since the world, also all you have is God. But before the world, all you had was God without the world. And one of the names that we use for God in this in this exalted, exalted realm, is or ein sof, which means light without end. And the poetry of that, I think, is just fabulous. Light without end. Endless light, right? Just... So, how do you create the finite within endless light? In other words, every time you'd have an initial point of the finite, it would get blown away by the infinite. <laughs> do you understand? Like, just on the level of physics, how do you do it? How do you create the finite amidst the infinite? The infinite should destroy the finite. As soon as the finite tries to take hold, it should be obliterated by the infinite. So, so it's actually quite miraculous that there's a world at all. Because how can the world exist amidst the infinity of God? It should get restored back to the infinite immediately. So what Hashem did was he created something that it's called, in English anyway, a vacated space within himself. Remember, the entire world exists within God. One of the things that I call these talks is living with God. It's important, this idea of living with God. And a lot of people, and I'm talking about even religious people, God is just a thought inside their heads. As opposed to the reality that we exist within God. One of the ironies is there are people who walk around and they wonder if God exists. The only reason why you exist is because God exists. If God didn't exist, you wouldn't exist. So you're wondering whether God exists is actually a proof that God exists because you wouldn't exist unless God exists. So we exist amidst the infinity of God. So the first step of creation is God creates this empty space within himself. And then he creates the world in this empty space. And we're going to tell you how in a moment. And this whole process that I'm describing to you right now is called simsum. Okay, that's a very, very important word if you if you want to understand these things. Tzimtzum. God creates this empty space within himself. Now, that's, that's really important 
on a number of different levels. So this world exists within the empty space. But can I tell you the biggest Kabbalistic joke in the entire world? It has like rabbis like rolling on the floor laughing. The empty space that God created within himself is also filled with godliness. <laughs> there, is, there is no place that is not filled with godliness. Even the empty space is also filled with godliness. But what God did was he created a realm within himself where you could choose to believe that he's not there. Isn't that interesting? What God did by creating this empty space within himself, even though that empty space is also filled with godliness, is he stepped down the revelation of his presence in order to give human beings free choice. So you see that free choice is actually the foundation of why God created the world to begin with. Because in the heavenly realms, none of the heavenly creatures, none of the angelic beings have free choice because the existence of God is so apparent and obvious. And God conjured a creature who could choose to believe or not, who sees darkness and says, you know what, there's light beyond the darkness, who sees people doing whatever they want to do and yet chooses to say, no, there's a path, a heavenly path that my creator has revealed to the world, the Torah, the mitzvot. And I want to do that. I choose to do that when I don't have to. That is unique in all the heavens. No other creature exists. And then I'll take it even further. God wanted a creature who struggled to do the right thing. Who actually struggled to do the right thing. That creature does not exist in all the heavens. You know why? Because there's so much darkness. So do you understand something now becomes apparent, which is amazing, which is compared to angels, we're so low. We're so low. Like, what are you to an angel? Especially the angels in the higher realms. What are you to an angel? Like, you're like dirt, like a clump of dirt. And yet we can do something that the angels gasp at in envy. We can see past the guard, we can see past the darkness and actually choose with struggle to do the right thing and attach ourselves to the infinite, even as we dwell amidst the finite. And the amount of light that that creates is absolutely epic. It's epic. So it it comes out that we are the highest creatures in all of existence, even as we dwell amidst the darkness, because we dwell amidst the darkness and can choose to do the right thing, which is unique in all of creation. We emanate the most light out of any celestial being in all of creation. It's incredible. We're the lowest and the highest at the same time, which means we're absolutely the highest. Okay, so now we're still, we're still getting to it. We've got part one. What's part one? Part one is God makes this empty space within himself, which allows us to have free choice. And again, that empty space is also filled with God, but a lower level of revelation. In fact, how low a revelation of godliness? So I've shared with you before from Rabbi Sitran, he asked his, his Rebbe and his Rebbe told him the following thing. God is the most concealed in this world that he can be, where if you look for him, you can still find him. That, that's amazing. God is the most concealed he can be in this world, 
where if you look for him, you can still find him. Okay. Now, within this space, within this quote-unquote empty space within God, God shines a ray of light. This is now part two of Tzimtzum. God shines a ray of light, and that has a name. You know what it's called? The Kav. Right? In English, it would be K-A-V, Kav. God shines a ray of light into this void, and that light blossoms into the physical universe. Right? Or to put it in Einsteinian language, energy becomes mass. Because light is energy, right? So that light, that ray of light condenses until it becomes the universe itself. Now, hold on to your hats. Hold on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Let's go back to the letter Aleph. So what does Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver say? And again, remember the words of the Brisker Rav. Was it obvious before I said it? <laughs> Do you know what that Vav is? Do you know what that Vav is between the first moment of the finite and the bottom Yud, which is this realm? I told you that that Vav is the human being, right? Well, he goes further. Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says that that Vav is the Kav, is that ray of light. And then he goes even further, and here's the point. You are the Kav. You and me are the ray of light. <laughs> Can you imagine? Do you know what that means? You are the ray of light shining into the universe from the highest realms, creating reality around you. <laughs> you are the Kav. You are the ray of light. This is Hanukkah. That's my Hanukkah message to you. You are the light. You are the light. You are the light of the miraculous. You are the light. So let's now go to a, a thought that, that many people quote, but I don't know if they know that they're quoting the Maharal when they're quoting it, which is we have different ideas uh, around the numbers in Hebrew. In other words, different numbers stand for different exalted concepts. So the number seven in Torah represents this world. And, and of course, you know, there, there are many, many examples of why seven represents this world. Uh, but I'll just give you one very simple one. God created the world in seven days. That, that's pretty good. I'll, I'll give you another one. You ready for this? The very first verse of the Torah, which is talking about the creation of the heavens and the earth, is Breshis bara elokim es hashamayim ve'es ha'aretz. The very first verse of the Torah talking about the creation of the world and the heavens and the earth, by the way, because the heavens are part, relatively speaking, of this finite construct as, as opposed to the infinity of God, right? Even the heavens are finite compared to God. That verse is seven words long. Okay, so, and there are many, many examples of, of seven uh, correlating with creation. But, but the number eight is one step above and beyond creation as we know it. So the number eight stands for infinity, okay, or the supernatural order. Because you have the natural order, and then you have the miraculous so according to the Maharal, the number eight is one above seven, just like the supernatural is one above the natural, or the miraculous is one above the natural order. So Hanukkah is eight days because Hanukkah symbolizes or was, in, was a, you know, evidence of how the miraculous is part of this world as well. How, how the beyond exists even within our realm. And that's what we call miracles, and that is Hanukkah. That's why Hanukkah is eight days, because it is the miraculous. 
Now, how does that connect to what we just discussed? Well, it, I'll tell you, because, because you are functioning on two different levels. Each of us is functioning on two different levels. On the one hand, you know what? If I don't eat, I get hungry. And if I never eat, I'm going to die. I got to eat. <laughs> you know what else I got to do? I got to sleep. <laughs> if I don't sleep, I'm going to like, I'm going to fall down a flight of stairs and who knows what. I got to sleep. I got to eat. You know what that means? I'm finite. I am physical and I am finite. Can I tell you something else about myself? I've got a soul. So do you. You know what that is? A piece of God. You know what that means? I'm also infinite. <laughs> I'm finite and I'm infinite. I'm the number seven and I'm the number eight. And they're blending together. And you know what the ray of light is? Do you know what the ray of light is? The ray of light is the fact that my essence is infinite because I'm a piece of God. And I'm shining into this finite world. That's the number seven. And I'm bridging the two things together. And that's what Hanukkah is. It's, it's, it's this miraculous convergence of the finite and the infinite. You know, only God can give life. Only God can give life. And yet, if you're depressed and I give you a hug, and all of a sudden you start to smile. You know what I just did? I gave you life. <laughs> Which means that amidst my finiteness, I can translate and transfer my infinity to another human being. That's Hanukkah. That's spreading the light. That's what it means to spread the light. And the thing is, is that, what do I mean that you are the light? You are Hanukkah. You are that oil. You, you, you know why? Because all of us are filling the world with more and more light. And every time we do something beautiful, we fill the world with more and more light until the world is shining so much that there's no more darkness anymore. And then all of reality then becomes the next ear that we're talking about. Mashiach. It's the next year where there's no more sickness. There's no more war. There's no more hate. There's just that light. When we talk about the, the name of Hashem, Yudke Vavke, this holiest name, grammatically, I learned, it's a verb. And, and I think that that's really important because one of the problems that people have, and, and I'm talking about even believing people, or people who are inclined to believe anyway, is that they say, there's a God, there must be a God, because look, let's, let's be real. How did this world come into existence? And how is it so precise? And it, I, you know, I often like to say, I don't care how many PhDs you have, I don't care how many Nobel Prizes you've won, you will not convince me that this world came into formation in its utter precision randomly. My point is that there are those who say God created the world because people just say, well, there must be a creator to this world, but he's not involved in this world. He created this world, but he's not involved in this world. Mm -hmm. And so when you remember that the holiest name of God is a verb, what that says to me is that it's part of just the nature of God, the essence of God, if we can use those terms, that not only is God involved, but God stays involved. Not only did God create the world, but God is constantly recreating the world. In other words, all of that is expressed in this, in this idea of a verb, that God is this, this, this entity that, that is in constant action. Right? That, and, and, and so, to me, that's very reassuring and very beautiful and is an aspect of, of this holiest name. Now, you touched on something else, which I don't want to go too far into, but, but let, me just, let me just suggest it for a moment. Um, 
you know, each person contains a miniature of the universe within them. See, because everything is worlds within worlds within worlds within worlds. Remember, the Zohar says that the entire Torah is contained within the first word of the Torah, Breshis. Okay, so everything is worlds within worlds. So each person themselves has the ten spherot within them. Each person themselves, that when they do something, they affect all the heavens and the whole earth, which is an incredibly empowering idea, which means that if you're alone in the room and you put a coin into the tzedakah box, like you actually are affecting all of the worlds at that moment, even as you're all by yourself. Okay, so now with this idea that each person is a miniature of the worlds and contains the worlds within them, remember this teaching that it says in the Talmud that if you save one person, it's like you save the whole world. Well, why is that the case? Because you really are saving the whole world every time you save a single person. Now, let's get even deeper. When God first set about to create the world, he made this space within himself. So to speak, that was like a womb. Right? And then what's birthed within that empty space within God is, is the universe itself. And do you see how th that parallels? How, how that parallels within a human being the entire creation of the universe? That each person is a world that's being created within this empty space? It's, it's amazing. Wow. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it shows you really like how holy like everything is, you know? So, so how does this all relate to this world and the next world? So what, what I would, the way I understand it, I'll just share with you my, my own understanding, is remember we, we talk about the fact that, that Torah believes in evolution more than, more than Darwin believed in evolution. Me meaning to say that Darwin says that, the, that, that human beings start from a single-celled entity and then evolved into the creatures that we are today. Um, of course, that suggests one question, which is, where did that single cell come from to begin with? And where did time and space come from to support the, the existence of that single cell? But th those questions aside, what Torah says is that, that human beings and the world itself are still evolving toward perfection. So we believe that this evolutionary process is, is ongoing and that, and that the, the fabric of reality itself is going to expand and become, um, you know, e e even more spiritual, basically. And I'll tell you a very interesting teaching. And this is, this is also from Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver, and involves the four-letter name of Hashem, the Yudke Vavke. So, so basically, you see, we have a teaching which sort of challenges the idea of the next world. And it's from Shlomo Amelech, which is, he says, there's nothing new under the sun. So if there's nothing new under the sun, in other words, how can this world become the next world if there's nothing new under the sun? <laughs> in other words, this world should remain this world, and, and that's it. So how is this world going to become the next world if there's nothing new? All right, so, so, so the answer is, under the sun, there's nothing new, but above the sun, it's constantly new. <laughs> so now let's go back to the Yudke Vavke, because the Yudke Vavke, again, always think of it as like a ladder with the Yud at the top and underneath that the hay, and underneath that the Vav and underneath that the bottom hay. The bottom hay stands for this world. Like all the Rebbe's say that. That's, that's the map. The top Yud is the beyond, 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 beyond. And the bottom hay is this world. Okay? So, so basically, 
you see something interesting. You see two He's in the name of God. You've got Yud and He, that's the first He, and then Vav and a second He. Well, what is that second He? So let's go a little bit deeper. We said that that second He correlates with earth. Now, what's earth made out of, spiritually speaking? See, because in terms of the ancients, there are four primary ingredients to reality, four ingredients to this recipe we call reality. You've got fire, air, water, and earth. Okay? So the earth is the bottom, is the bottom of the yud ke vav ke, right? That's the bottom hay. And the top three letters correlate with fire, air, and water. And we say below the sun, there's nothing new, but above the sun, it's constantly new. So what's going to happen in the end of days? You ready for this? God is going to recombine fire, air, and water and create a new earth. <laughs> in other words, there is nothing new because God is using the same ingredients. But God is going to recombine the proportionality of those ingredients and create a new fourth entity, a new earth. Right now, the earth is one combination of fire, air, and water. The bottom hay is a is the output of fire, air, and water. But God is going to recombine the proportionality of fire, air, and water and create a new earth, a new reality for us. And in that new reality, that's called Olam Haba. That's called the world to come. And that's going to be a world where the dead are resurrected. That's going to be a world where we live forever. That's going to be a world where there is no concealment or evil. And so, so, so the idea is this world is evolving toward that world. And the way that we promote and enhance the evolution from one stage to another stage is by putting more light into the world, the light of our own souls, through our own practicing of free choice, through our own struggles, through our own mitzvot. That's what speeds this process. That's what brings down this higher light into this world and transforms this world. So this world itself is the world to come. But it's, it's on the road to becoming the world to come. So what does that, how does that relate to where our souls go when we pass away? And the idea of an aliyah. Okay, so, so you've got two ideas here that are often mixed up. A lot of people say, well, after a person passes from this world, they're in Olam Habadna. And that's, you know, in the vernacular, it's fine to say that. But it's not technically accurate. Where the soul goes at the end of a lifetime is called the Olam Hanashamos, the world of souls. And the next world, the next evolution, the next iteration of this world is called Olam Haba. And basically, after a lifetime, a soul ascends to the Olam Hanashamos, the world of souls, which we also call Gan Eden right? The Garden of Eden, it also is called that. But that is sort of like a waiting area, although it's about the greatest waiting area you could ever hope for because it's, it's beyond, beyond this world and filled with delights and pleasures, way beyond this world. But that is, so to speak, the holding zone of the souls before they come back down into this world, into Chiasamesim, in the resurrection of the dead. So, while the soul is in this, in the Olam HaNeshamas, in this heavenly realm, also known as the Garden of Eden. And by the way, um, the, 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 the great holy people in the Sifri Kedoshim, in our holy books, talk about 
the Gan Eden Tachton and the Gan Eden Elyon, the lower Garden of Eden and the higher Garden of Eden. So you, you see that for souls, souls can advance to ever higher levels of delight and revelation of godliness because God is infinite. So the soul can travel upwards and upwards. So this is kind of a good and a bad thing. I don't really mean good and bad, but, but you'll see what I mean in a moment. The problem is, and you know, like the old joke goes like this. Someone goes to the Garden of Eden and they see one group of souls like getting very special treatment. And the person asks, you know, is not in that group and says, you know, what did they do? Like, how can I get with them? And the person says, well, those people were very charitable. They gave a lot of tzedakah. And so the person says, well, I'll give more tzedakah. This is a person in the next world saying, and, and the, 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 the person is told, no, 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 up here we only take receipts. <laughs> in, other words, in other words, once a person gets to the next world, they're at the level that they're at. You, there's perfect justice. A person is judged within a hair's breadth. And you get the level of light that you earned in this world. Which is, again, that's what I mean by a good and a bad thing. It's good because you're in this place of, you know, like, like it says like all of the pleasures of this world can't compare to one moment in the next world. So... But at the same time, you can see higher levels of light in the next world that you can't participate in. That's what it says in the Gemara. That helps a lot, David. The a level of light that you earned in this world makes it so much clearer to me. Thank you. So now, what? So now, if a person's a soul, and whatever level they've attained they can see more that they don't have access to. Now they're kind of stuck. I mean, they're in a great spot. But at the same time, they're kind of stuck because they can't rise higher. Except they can rise higher. Which is when we do something that's an elevation for their souls, when we give charity in their name, when we do a mitzvah in their name, their soul goes higher. You know why? Because their memory is still earning practical deeds in this world through us. In other words, their inspiration is causing us to do more so that even though they're in the next world, through us, we become that vav that I was talking about. We become that active bridge where people who are in the beyond still have a connection into this world. That's amazing. And so they can rise higher through us. So something awesome, 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 awesome. We'll just, we'll just tell you a Torah from the Jikover Rebbe. The Jikover Rebbe was the grandson of the Ropshitzer Rebbe, who is the right-hand man of the Echoz of Lublin. And the Jikover Rebbe, it's, this is in the Imre Noam, which is his Sefer. And Reb Shlomo said about the Jikover that that he was a supercomputer before there were computers. Okay? So now you're going to see something just heavenly. Okay. It says, when the Jewish people camped around Mount Sinai, before we got the Torah, it says, Vayichan, and even though we're talking about approximately two and a half million people right now, the Yichan is in the singular. So really, this word of the Jewish people encamping, it means that the Jewish, that phrase, the Yichan Sham Yisrael, means the Jewish people encamp there. So that should be in the plural, because we're talking about so many people. And yet, amazingly, the Torah says that it puts it in the singular. So look at the Rashi there, and Rashi tells you that before the Jewish people received the Torah, 
we were like one person with one heart. And in fact, I'll just, I think that what I'm saying is consistent with Rashi, that one of the preconditions of getting the Torah was that we should be like one person with one heart. In other words, it's not just coincidental that, oh, by the way, we were like one person with one heart before we got the Torah. I don't think that's it. I think because we were like one person with one heart, we were able to get the Torah. Anyway, listen to this. I told you that the ancients thought all of reality could be boiled down to four entities. Aish, fire, that means fire. Ruach, air. Mayim, water. And Aretz, the gematria of Vayichan Sham Yisrael is 955. In other words, the fact that the Jewish people were one is 955. The gematria of Eish, Ruach, Mayim, and Aretz is 955. In other words, when the Jewish people became one, all of the elements of reality unified. The entire world becomes one. The entire universe becomes one. So as we increase love and oneness amongst each other, we bring oneness and harmony to all of creation. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.